Outliers. Welcome to another episode of Outlier Academy, a show about the misfits, rebels, and idealists shaping our world, and the habits, influences, and lessons that propelled them to the top of their craft. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, we explore the world of coffee alternatives and functional foods with Lopa Vandermersch of Rasa. When Rasa launched just a few years ago, they weren't sure how successful their coffee alternative, a tea-like beverage with a blend of powerful herbs and adaptogens, would do. But in no time, they were scaling quickly, and today they do more than $5 million in annual revenue. And they're just getting started. After bootstrapping the company, they're raising their first round of venture capital now and expanding with new blends and products like their own Rasa Creamer. In this episode, we explore the weird world of coffee, including how the world fell in love with a bitter beverage and just how uncommon that is. We talk about the art and science of adaptogens, including what they are and how they regulate your body's energy and stress response. We talk about the lengths that Rasa goes to craft an incredible product, including having three trained herbalists on staff, and the lessons that Lopa has learned as a first-time founder and CEO of a fast-scaling business. To learn more about Rasa, visit wearerasa.com. You can even buy their taster pack to try every blend and find your favorite. I highly recommend Cacao and Super Happy Sunshine. You can also follow Outlier Academy on Twitter for exclusive clips, quotes, and more at Outlier Academy. And you can find our show notes with links to everything that we discuss, as well as a full transcript of this conversation at outlieracademy.com slash 39. Let's jump in with Lopa. Lopa, I am so excited to have you on the show to talk all about Rasa and why coffee is the enemy. So (laughs) thank you so much for joining. (laughs) Way to set me up like the devil. Hi, thanks. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. I'm excited to be here. I'm super excited to talk with you about Rasa. I drink Rasa daily. I love it. So I'm really excited to explore the product, the business, and just a bunch of cool things about how you have grown the business, how you run the business that I find fascinating. But to start, I'm sure some people listening haven't heard of Rasa. Could you just give a quick pitch of what it is and a little bit of background on the company? Just how old the company is, maybe size, stuff like that. Sure. We do super functional coffee alternatives. We were actually the first adaptogenic coffee alternative to market. And we can get into adaptogens a little bit later on if people are like, uh, what the heck? Super functional, we distinguish as being, you know, every single ingredient has a purpose and a function in this and every single product. We have about eight products across our line. We hard launched three years ago, uh, three years and a few months at this point, April 2018, uh, was in beta for a couple of years before that. And it's been a wild ride. We're doing great. Got about 20 people on our team and at a roughly $5 million run rate. Things have been growing fast. And clearly we're not the only people who think that coffee is evil slash that you need to have a healthy, balanced relationship to coffee, however you do. Yeah, I think evil is probably triggering because, I mean, I, I drink coffee. I love coffee. I think a lot of people do. Coffee's great. It is. But I think talking with you, I mean, we've had some super interesting conversations about what people don't realize that drinking coffee does to your body. And, and I thought it might be interesting to start there. One of the things that you talk about quite a bit is just energy awareness and being in better regulating your energy. I guess, can you compare and contrast what happens when you drink a standard cup of coffee and how is that different than what happens when you drink a cup of rasa? I like to think of coffee as a little bit of a blunt object for your energy. You know, it's it's going to work. It's going to do the thing. But the reason that you get such a, a lift from it is that it is directly stimulating your central nervous system. And if you think about it, like a loud bang also stimulates your central nervous system really well. Um, and coffee is kind of similar. So like it's, it's a little bit shocking to to your system, which is governing and regulating and causing balance in your entire body. And then it also causes a cortisol release from your adrenals. So it's literally stimulating a stress response. 
And your body has a natural cortisol cycle anyway. So you have a basically a peak of cortisol roughly at about 9 a.m. And then it starts to downfall until about six, which is when your melatonin starts to tick in. When you drink coffee, your body starts to get dependent on this cortisol release from the coffee. If you're drinking it, say, before nine o'clock, then you might have your spike at roughly nine, and then you might come down a little bit earlier in the afternoon, say about two, three o'clock when you might crash. I don't know. That's a maybe common crash time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then you'll probably get another little spike later in the night, which makes it harder to go to sleep. So it starts to mess with that natural cortisol cycle, which is part of your circadian rhythm. And it also, because you're stimulating that cortisol response a little bit artificially, your body's like, oh, I don't need to make cortisol. They're going to do it for me. This coffee is going to come in and do it for me. And so that's where you start to also develop that dependency. Additionally, coffee, it doesn't actually make you less tired. It just fools your body into thinking that you are. So it actually blocks. So adenosine is the neurotransmitter that makes you feel sleepy. And caffeine blocks the adenosine receptors so that suddenly it's like, oh, I don't have that sleepiness so that the adenosine actually isn't getting into the receptors but your body's smart. And it's like, well, I'm just going to make more adenosine receptors because I'm freaking tired. And so that's where you also, that's another factor in the whole coffee dependency cycle. So it's a very physically dependency forming substance. I like to use the Ayurvedic adage, which is for whom and when. For some people, coffee works great. And you might be listening to me like, I don't have any problems with my sleep. Everything's great. She should shut up about coffee. It's perfect. Um, And, but some people might be like, oh, I'm seeing some of these symptoms. And it really depends on who you are, the type of constitution you have, as well as your relationship to coffee. And so I'm really big on, it's not actually that coffee is the devil. It's about how you use it. Just like wine, you know, like if you have a glass of wine with dinner, it's a beverage. It's wonderful. If you need two to three, four glasses to be able to feel functional, you got a problem. I predict that where we're going in some years, I, don't, I, I would say maybe 10 years, we're going to start seeing a shift where people think of coffee as similar to alcohol, where if somebody said to you, I need two glasses of wine to get started in the morning, you'd be like, oh, you have a problem. But if somebody says you need two cups of coffee to get going, you don't think anything of it. Now, contrast that to adaptogens, which are in our well-researched opinion, a much superior way to stimulate and much healthier for your body. Um, Adaptogens are actually overall regulating for your central nervous system and they're regulating. So coffee is a neuroendocrine disruptor and adaptogens are neuroendocrine regulators and neuroendocrine just, it means your nervous system and your endocrine system coming together. Those together are kind of the mainframe of your body. They touch every single, your neurotransmitters and your hormones govern absolutely everything that's going on in your body at any time. Get that system working well, everything works better. Adaptogens are a class of herbs. There's four criteria to be called an adaptogen. We call it the four N's, which is they need to be normalizing, which means they have an overall balancing impact on your body. They help you maintain homeostasis. They have to be non-toxic in normal therapeutic doses. So normal therapeutic doses means like if you go out and drink three gallons of the stuff, yeah, you might have some impact, some negative impacts, but for the most part, they're pretty safe for most people most of the time. And then they need to be non-specific. So they're working throughout the entire body. It's not like, oh, they're just good for the liver. It's no, they're working. And that actually ties into the fourth N, which is neuroendocrine. They have to have this impact on your neuroendocrine system where they're actually strengthening and balancing your body's stress response system. So we have two main pathways that our body uses to communicate to our adrenals that there's a stress trigger. And for most of us, these systems are in overdrive 
all the time because modern life is just stupidly stressful. And that's your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is HPA axis, and then sympathoadrenal system, which is your SAS. And those two systems both tell your adrenals like, hey, we have a stress event. We're going to need some cortisol here. And adaptogens, basically, they mimic stress in a good way, like exercise does, and make those two systems stronger so that like, just think about it. Like if you don't exercise at all and you go to pick up a five pound weight, you're like, it's kind of heavy, just like with stress, you know, like the littlest thing can start to get you off if you're, if you're not strong in those two systems. And so these herbs actually helps to strengthen those two systems so that a 15 pound weight doesn't phase you in the same way that a five pound weight. So like a big stress event just doesn't quite get you as freaked out for as long or as often. That's why we packed rasa with these particular herbs so that you're replacing something that is overall kind of a shock to your system. That might be an exciting and wonderful high of a shock, but it's a little bit like drugs. You know, you don't want to do them every day and then replace that with something that's going to just generally help you to be able to have more cope with life. (laughs) Fantastic description and super, super detailed. On the adaptogen piece, is the root of that just that it's helping balance, helping your body adapt? Is that where that term comes from? Yeah, that's where the term comes from. And then people say like, oh, it helps you adapt to stress, which is great, but it's all very oversimplified because there's actually some really pretty fascinating mechanisms of action that are going on in the body. And our chief herbalist on our team is a uh, walking encyclopedia, and he can talk all about the glucocorticoids in the brain and how that's impacting your stress response. It's just, it's pretty amazing. I'm roughly at the stretch of my knowledge um, getting into (laughs) glucocorticoids there. Well, I think that was great for everyone listening. Just to go back to the beginning, hearing you describe that, you're incredibly passionate about it. It's also incredibly intricate and really nuanced, just your understanding of it. And I'm curious, how much did you know about adaptogens and herbs before founding Rasa? Or was there more of an impetus to learn and try something new that sent you off on this journey? Talk a little bit about the founding and how it got started. Yeah, sure. So I've been into adaptogens since way before they were cool. You know, they've been really trending in the recent years. And I think I first started taking them 15, 16 years ago, something like that. Basically, when I first started getting into Ayurveda and the king and queen adaptogens of Ayurveda are Shatavari and Ashwagandha. Probably can't say this in front of the FDA, but um, I swear Ashwagandha really helped to heal Hashimoto's for me. That was an herb that I was working with really closely. So yeah, I mean, that's a good place to start is I had a crap ton of health issues of both small and large and hypothyroidism that had me really depressed and just not really able to, to do anything. And that started to get me into, I worked both with Western medicine as well as alternative options and had kind of equal success in both places in different ways. And so I got really into herbs. I've always been an enthusiast. I'm not an expert. I never went to school or anything, but I would have jars and jars of herbs in my kitchen and stuff like that. And then, so Rasa actually started, um, you know, I would just kind of use herbs, you know, in my life, however, however I was so inspired. But then in 2015, I had just like a phenomenally stressful year. I I now call it my own personal 2020, but included (laughs) my husband and I left a cult. I had an emergency back surgery while pregnant, moved across the country, lost a family member, had a major falling out with my family, had a traumatic cesarean birth with my kid. Like I was just completely fried. I needed something to keep me going. You know, I had a baby waking me up all the time and was like exhausted. And so I tried coffee 
And I've never been a big coffee drinker. I was actually like, I was a barista, you know, in my early 20s. And I was the barista that did not drink coffee and was trying to make everybody <laughs> mate lattes and stuff. But even my staunch Ayurveda friends at that time, and Ayurveda would generally say, and Ayurveda, if you're not familiar, is the traditional medicine system of India. And it's depending on who you talk to between three and 5,000 years old. And it doesn't tend to look very favorably on coffee for most people, although there are some constitutions where coffee is actually very medicinal. And so if you're listening and you're like, coffee works great for me, you might be that type or you might be just overriding yourself. Um, <laughs> usually you have to quit to kind of get familiar with it. But anyway, even my most staunch Ayurveda friends were like, this is the time that you just guzzle coffee. This just, you know, you're a new mom, just drink all the coffee. I had coffee maybe four times and panic attacks, irritability, like waking up, it messed up my sleep even more, you know, jitters, all like all the bad things you don't want, just not worth it. And so I tried all the coffee alternatives out there and it's like, really, this is it. We could put so much more into this. And then I started considering the coffee ritual, you know, and here's this drink that we don't even really question societally that many, many, many people are addicted to. And I was like, huh, so everybody's drinking this. It's a very ritualized thing. We drink it every day. And that's how so many of these herbs actually do their best magic is if you're drinking them consistently daily. And then the other thing is that coffee is one of the few widely accepted bitter tastes in our society. So there's generally in, in our culture, we don't really love bitter overall. I happen to like bitter quite a bit, but it's an acquired taste, but coffee and chocolate are these bitter tastes. And a lot of herbs out there are actually quite bitter. A lot of the really good medicinal herbs. And I will say most adaptogens on their own taste like shit. <laughs> They're really not tasty herbs. And so I was like, wait a second. Okay. If we can make a really robust, slightly bitter taste that mimics that coffee ritual and make that out of some really medicinal herbs as well, and then stick all these other herbs in there, like we could put so much more into this cup. It's something that's actually regenerating people's energy and helping them to cultivate what we call energy intelligence, as opposed to using their drink to override their body's signals and just continue to be a cog of productivity for a society that just doesn't give a fuck about them. <laughs> it's a great into that, to that answer. <laughs> On the energy intelligence, talk a little bit about that. What does that mean? And what does it look like when someone is really in tune? And what does it look like when someone's not at all in tune with their body and their energy? Yeah. Yeah. I think for so many of us, you know, we tend to disconnect when we feel discomfort. There's a dissonance there. We're like, okay, great. I'm not, I'm not comfortable. So what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm tired. So I'm going to have coffee. I'm too revved up. So I'm going to have wine. I'm exhausted. And so I'm going to binge Netflix. You know, there's so many different ways that we can disconnect from our actual state and intimacy with our energy. I think we don't tend to realize how much the quality of our energy impacts the quality of our decisions, the quality of our actions, like where in ourselves we're coming from. Am I coming from my best self right now with really wide access to awareness? And I would say, you know, from the scientific perspective, from your cognitive executive function, which is the beauty of what makes us human. And so often we're actually overriding all these little signals from our body and really coming from more of our limbic system or somewhere more base brain. And we're not actually making our best decisions from that perspective. So we define energy intelligence as consistently making a practice of what's the quality of my energy today at this moment. And then how can I best support that so that I'm my best self and can give my best to a world that so dearly needs it and deserves it. 
And so I wrote a post the other day where, you know, I woke up and I was snapping at my kid and I was just like, I felt brittle and dry. And I was like, oh, here's where I'm at right now. Okay, what can I do about this? And so I often look at which rasa I make for myself because we have eight different products. And so there's one for different moods. And I was like, okay, I'm actually, when I really felt into my energy, it starts with having intimacy with our energy. And, you know, and and energy can also be something that can be a little bit, people think of it as woo or what is energy really? It's a feeling state of our body. Emotion is energy. Energy intelligence would be just like a little bit broader of an umbrella as opposed to say emotional intelligence, but it's a feeling quality of like, what does it feel like to be me right now? You know, when I felt into my body that day, I was like, what doesn't even feel like I have arms. My energy is not going into my arms at all or my legs. It's just, and it's like all kind of moving around over here. So I drank calm rasa and that really helped to kind of settle things. And then from there, I was able to also start, and this is one of the things too, the the magic of adaptogens, like no product is going to change the amount of stress in your life overall. You know, like you can't, you know, I'm I'm not going to be the first to tell you that like, we're not going to save you from your lack of childcare or from, you know, societal oppression or, you know, any of that. But if you get that even 5% extra buffer and 5% more access to your cognitive executive function and your ability to step out of the frame of your suffering and be your own coach or be your own parent, access your higher self, whatever frame resonates for you. And then say like, okay, you know, if I was parenting this child right now, what would I say we should do? If I was coaching this person right now. And so at that point I got my feet in the earth. I drank a bunch of water. And then I was like, I need to get out into nature within 45 minutes, I brought my kids out into nature and they're still screaming and wild, but I cared a lot less. (laughs) I'm just walking through you through like one personal anecdote of what it was like for me to experience energy intelligence. So I started with intimacy with my energy, which then brought out my energy intelligence. And then by the end, I had energy integrity. I was actually working with the energy that I had and not trying to like be like, ah, well, I hate this. And so I'm just going to watch TV with the kids, you know, or whatever. I was like, all right, what's really going to be medicinal? I have a friend that talks about toxic versus tonic pleasure. So toxic pleasure is something that you have to recover from. You know, if you choose to drink two or three margaritas because you're just feeling like shit, you know, and I've done it too, like no shade, you know, we all have been there, but that's probably something that you're going to have to recover from. Whereas tonic pleasure is something that's like, okay, I'm going to take a bath. I'm going to read something inspiring. I'm going to connect with a friend and reach out because I need help. And that's something that actually gives back to us instead of takes a little bit from the future. That's a fascinating breakdown. As you said that, I could immediately identify, yeah, I definitely have. I'm not always in tune with it, but I definitely notice that there are different forms of energy that I have. And I think some are really short burning, high intensity. Some feel... Mm-hmm. Some feel just very calming, but like I could go forever. And especially hearing you say that if your job involves a lot of decision-making or just getting a lot done in the day, it makes a ton of sense that the quality of the energy you bring to the day really matters. Something I find fascinating that I want to get into a little bit is how much work you do around the quality of the ingredients that go into your product. But before we explore that, just because you touched on it a little bit there, Can you kind of map out, because I think this would be helpful, those eight products that you have today and how those break down? Because I know there's elderberry and cacao and calm. I don't have the best sense of when I should have one over the other. So I thought maybe I'd ask you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, great idea. 
Most of our blends are based more or less on the same formula, which means that you're still going to be getting, whether you switch every day or whatever, you're still going to be getting a functional tonic dose of the herbs. So we have our classics line, which is original cacao and dirty, which are strictly based on that original 12 herb formula. There's so many different angles I can go into each one, but original is 12 herbs. It's a good daily drinker any time of day. We have many people who drink it at night as well. For some people, they would find that too stimulating. So it really kind of depends on the person. That's a good sort of anytime one. And it has roughly 3000 milligrams of adaptogen per serving. So you're getting, you know, a really functional dose in all of our products. And that's an important distinction. I mean, I see a lot of products in the industry. We call it fairy dusting when they just like, are like sprinkle, sprinkle, cool, put it on the label. And then you're not actually going to get anything functional out of that at all. So then cacao is that formula blended with direct trade cacao, Ecuadorian, single source, beautiful supplier there. That one tastes kind of like a healthy hot chocolate and cacao has theobromine. And so it you know, has a little bit of this heart opening impact. It is definitely a mood booster overall. So that's a good one. Um, it's also freaking delicious. So like I mix that into a lot of different my, it's my favorite. products. Yeah. And then dirty is actually mixed with coffee and we get also a really beautiful coffee. We tested dozens of coffees to get one a coffee that wouldn't get all weird with Rasa's longer brew time because a lot of the coffees get acidic and kind of acrid if you brew them too long. But this one goes perfectly with those blends sourced only from women-owned farms, which is remarkable in an industry that pretty much excludes women from, from ownership and leadership. And so that one has about one quarter the amount of caffeine compared to a regular cup of coffee. And that's a great one for, you want a little caffeine, you want to get going, but the herbs balance out the impacts of the caffeine. It's also a good gateway drug for a lot of people. You know, they're not quite ready to make the leap or they really want that like straight up coffee taste. And that's one that I'll often throw a tablespoon into my French press just to give myself a little bit more of a kick. And then we have our special blends line. And these are all products that we released to be limited edition products. And we got hundreds of requests to bring them back. I mean, incredible, incredible reviews and stuff. So we were like, okay, I guess they're becoming permanent now. And so our line expanded a lot faster than we intended. So that is our spicy rose blend. That is a libido supporting tonic and a note on that. So there's a lot of libido products out there. Not a lot of them work super well is one note. But then the other side, our herbalist was saying, he was like, you know, I could jack this up with a bunch of herbs to really make people feel something. But the way that we approach things is more from a tonic herbalism perspective. That jacking up approach is similar to the way coffee does things. And we're coming at it from the perspective of like, how do we address the deeper issues that are causing people to have lack of a libido anyway? And so that's replenishing these deep stores of energy that are, you know, you have to feel a little bit replete to feel like you want to get it on. You know, you can't be like super burned out and stressed. And so these herbs really help to address that while also having herbs to help open the heart and just get us out of our freaking heads. And also some herbs that will help get things moving and flowing in all the right places. Um, so that's, I'll say my husband totally serves that one to me as a come on. Um, Just makes like, you a specialty. Literally, like, he'll be like, hey, I made you some rasa. <laughs> yeah, coffee alternative. But yeah, uh, he'll be like, I made you some rasa. I'm like, oh, spicy rose, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's definitely something that, you know, if we have a big date or something like that or an anniversary, I will often drink for a couple of days, like have two or three cups a day for a few days. And then that really helps to, to get to build things up. And then we have our elderberry blend, which is sort of an everything that you want in an immune support. 
I noticed that it's not meant to be used this way, but I think this is the way that we all tend to work with immune stuff. As soon as you have a little tickle in your throat, then you're like, oh, I better drink this. But it's actually meant to be something that you can take all season long to help strengthen your immune system. But it's definitely something that I'll drink two or three times a day. If my kids get sick, I'm like busting out the elderberry. Anytime that you're in an immune situation or you're like, wow, I just had a bunch of exposure in a place where, you know, I wasn't sure if everybody was vaccinated or whatever, then that'd be a good time to drink up on some elderberry. And then super happy sunshine is just what it sounds like. Sunshine in a cup is what we were going for. It has a really beautiful herb in it called scalidium that we get in a ethical partnership with the sand tribe of South Africa. It's a sacred herb to them. And so often in the world, uh, our globalized world, somebody goes to another country and like, I found this cool herb. And then they just go and sell it in the West and make a bunch of money off of it. And there's no exchange. Not one ounce of this herb from this particular company was sold before there was a formalized partnership with the sand tribe and they get a revenue share agreement and they are actually working in the farms as well and have ownership and they're on the board and it's really beautiful. And that herb, if you Google it, it's also known as Kana. You'll find on like vice.com and stuff, it'll say nature's MDMA. It causes a big serotonin boost in your system. You'd have to drink a fair amount of are like, you know, four or five cups to really feel anything close to that MDMA effect. And that's on purpose. You know, we're not trying to get people high and it's also $2,000 a pound. So we have to be careful with how we use it, but we have a functional dose. The functional dose is 12 and a half milligrams. And we have, I think 15 in there going back to spicy rose. We've had people tell us they had their first orgasm. We've had people tell us that they, they're pretty sure that they have a Rasa baby that they're pregnant with, you know, like amazing (laughs) things. And with Super Happy Sunshine, we actually had people tell us that we released it in 2020 and they came back from the edge, the edge of the cliff, the edge of the building kind of thing. We had multiple people tell us, I literally think this product saved my life. And we were like, okay, we will bring it back. Um, we can't say we can't say no to that. So it's amazing. It's a good day. Like if you want to have a happy day, it's usually my Monday blend. That's what I drink on Mondays. Just be like, okay, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be all right. I am probably going way too far on these guys. I love these products. I'm so, I'm I'm proud. this is great. Okay. Um, And then we have our Lux line, which is calm and bold. And these ones are more expensive because they have a lot more extracts in them. So they each have the equivalent of almost 10,000 milligrams of adaptogens per serving. So very potent extracts. We have a lot of 10 to one. Four times. Yeah. What is that? Three times, a little bit more than three times. Yeah, exactly. And... The bold is it's, we were going for like, how do we help people feel the coffee thing without the coffee? And I don't think that we succeeded because like I was saying, caffeine has such its own impact, but we, what we did succeed in was creating a completely different perspective around what really powerful energy can be. And it's, so it's much more grounded. It's not like slightly aggressive, like I can do anything, like almost cocaine, like um, uh, impact of coffee. It's much more like a grounded, open focus. There's a lot of herbs in there for brain and cognitive flow, performance, athletic recovery, all really some great herbs in there. So that's one that I'll drink. It's also a little bit dangerous in terms of if you have a crap night of sleep and you drink two cups of bold in the morning, you'll feel pretty much normal. And I say dangerous just because you don't want to abuse that and be like, oh, I can just sleep six hours, you know, like, no, you need the sleep. But if you have a young kid and you know, I drank the crap out of bold for a while, I was just like, oh God, 
I feel halfway normal and I don't even know how I'm getting five interrupted hours of sleep a night. So it's great for that and great for when you have that extra push for a deadline or something like that. And then calm is very relaxing. It's relaxing without being sedative. So for most people, it's not going to put you to sleep, but many people do drink it before bed or drink it as their afternoon thing. I actually like it the most as a replacement for that after work glass of wine that I got really habituated on in COVID because it just there's a very high dose of reishi in there. And just to go a little bit on that one particular herb, there's a bunch of other herbs in there too, but reishi in Chinese medicine is said to help settle the Shen back into the heart. Shen is your spiritual energy basically. And so many of us, when, especially when we're in working mode and we're in decision-making mode and all that, we're really kind of like walking heads, talking heads, you know, like we're, we're, we exist up here. And when I drink calm, I really feel it come back down to my heart and I'm like ready for family mode. But I also drink it sometimes in the morning and, you know, a lot of people drink it either after work, after dinner or before bed. So it's very down regulating, very relaxing. There's a clinical dose of ashwagandha in there and I mix them a lot too. Right now I'm drinking bold and joy together. Bold and calm together is a very unique experience. It's like powerful and really relaxed, which is kind (laughs) of awesome. So, you know, you can have, you can have fun with that too. That was fantastic. So when we were talking before, I mean, something that I think is staggering is that you source 48 herbs across 12 different countries. And you touched on it earlier, but you also literally have a trained herbalist on staff that's coming up with all these combinations, doing all the R&D, and then making sure that every single batch meets your criteria. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about those two things, why they're so important to you and to Rasa, and then if you could contrast that, because I would guess that that's probably not very common in the <laughs> coffee alternatives adaptogen space. Yeah, it's sadly uncommon. I do wish that there were more and more herbalists out there doing these kinds of products. And I think in the trending wellness world, there's really a bit of a thing where people are like, oh, that's a trendy ingredient. Stick it in there. It'll be great. And herbs are powerful. If you have the wrong herb in the wrong context, it actually can really mess up different things. And I don't want to go too far into that just to, to, I don't want to scare people, but it is real. There are different considerations. The way that you formulate something is actually really important. We go out with everything to be like, okay, how do we make this the most safe, the most effective and the most supportive for the most people? And I see a lot of products out there where I'm like, cool, you just saw four trending ingredients and then threw them in the bag and called it good. We actually have four herbalists on staff at this point. We have a thing for hiring herbalists because we end up also doing a lot of education. So we have herbalists on customer care and on wholesale sales as well and on social media. And so that just helps with our overall education. But then our co-founder and chief herbalist is also our QC manager. And he actually used to buy 10 million pounds of herbs every year when he was a senior buyer at Celestial Seasonings. 1 million pounds of just chamomile. (laughs) It's amazing. And came to us actually when he was just about to get promoted to head of sourcing for Celestial. He just felt like he could do more and have more engagement with sustainability and supply chain and the ethics and all of that. And which herbs you choose really makes a difference both in terms of safety and efficacy as well as sustainability. There are a lot of herbs out there actually that are starting to, as they get more popular, there are supply chain sustainability and ecosystem concerns. One of which is chaga, which is trending hugely right now. I see tons of chaga products out there and chaga, you know, as an example, it grows on one in 20,000 birch trees and it grows in Siberia quite a bit, but then, you know, you don't think about some of these down system consequences, but for example, 
in Siberia, they're having to go deeper and deeper into the forest to be able to find the chaga, which is actually disrupting habitat for the Siberian tigers, which these are amazing nine foot long tigers, which are endangered. So don't get wild crafted chaga unless you have a really strong need to. It's an incredible immune immune mushroom. And so people say that you should save it for like cancer patients, for example. So having an herbalist, every single herb not only has its own function in the formula, but also has its own function in support of and in contrast to the other herbs in the formula. And the, you know, it's like this, I don't even know how it like the math, the herbal math that he's doing is just really incredible, you know, balancing out the different functionalities and making sure that there's synergies when the herbs work together and that there actually is the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And then he's also a professionally trained taster as well. You know, he does the whole slurping thing and everything. <laughs> and he tastes every single batch of herbs that we get. And we actually reformulate the product almost every single time because we're dependent on nature. We're dependent on climate. We're dependent on factors that we don't have any control over. So if we get an extra strong batch of, for example, ashwagandha, ashwagandha's name literally means smell of a horse. <laughs> and and it's act. <laughs> you don't want the too strong of an ashwagandha in there because people be like, ugh. And so if we get an extra strong batch of ashwagandha, then we have to tone down the formula or balance something else up a little bit. And so he's constantly, we've probably reformulated each product or especially our original like 40 times or something like that every time we do a batch. And uh, I'm proud to say we get a bunch of herbs. Our Chinese herbs come from an incredible supplier in this massive nature preserve out in China. I think people often hear China and they're like uh, cesspool. And that's not actually only the case. Um, if you want to look at some really beautiful nature pictures, look up Chiang Bai Mountain in China. Stunning, stunning place. And genuinely the largest nature preserve in China. Anyway, our Chinese herbs come from there and they also supply to some yogi teas and puka teas and you know a lot of much bigger companies than we are. And um, I'm proud to say that we are their biggest pain in the ass client um, because we have such exact specifications, which is also because our formula is very complex. And so we have to make sure that everything balances just right and tastes just right. So, yeah, there's a lot of tasting that goes on around here. I want to transition and talk a little bit about just how much customer love you guys have. I mean, you shared a few quotes and testimonials with me, and they're just incredible. And I guess something I wanted to talk a little bit about is where you think that comes from. Because I think what I see broadly is people, founders, especially of consumer companies, obviously want that response. And they try to figure out how to engineer that. Start with the brand and throw in some social media and you know, to trying to get to something to be able to elicit that. And I'm curious, how much of that do you think is the brand? How much of it is literally just the quality of the product? Just your observations on where that comes from. It's a little bit of both. There was no engineering here. I do not know what I'm doing. <laughs> we started out like, I am learning how to build a business while building a business. We are building the plane while flying the plane. I've been a co-founder in a few businesses, but never in CPG before. And it's very different being at the helm. So yeah, definitely not engineered. I would say... There's a couple of things. We 
definitely under promise and over deliver in terms of what the product can do. And people often come to it like, I want an alternative to coffee. You know, like I want something that's going to taste good and do the thing. They might be like, well, it seems a little expensive for just a drink. But then some people go ahead and make the leap or many people, fortunately for us. And then they drink it a few times or sometimes they drink it once. We just had somebody, you know, review from last night where they were like, I felt amazing. I didn't have my afternoon crash. My husband loved it. He was able to focus all day in a way that he hasn't. And, you know, that was their first time. But these herbs, part of it is the magic of the herbs. They have a cumulative effect. So the longer you take them and the more consistently you take them, the more you actually feel them. There's one herbalist that says that one of the herbs in our blend, you don't really get to know it until you've been drinking it every day for six months. (laughs) That's a high bar. We don't put that in our marketing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But because it's such a habitual drink and because we inserted it into this daily ritual for people, they do get to have that impact. And then they're like, whoa, my life has changed. Or they go out of town and they realize what changes when they don't have it. So yeah, I think a lot of it does come down to the product. And then I think, well, part of our brand is there's a transparency and an intimacy and a friendliness that I think is not very commonly seen. We get a lot of people that say, you know, they don't feel like they're being marketed to, or when they contact our customer care, it feels like they're talking to a friend. And, you know, I encourage people to take that extra few minutes to really make a connection. Like if somebody gives you a personal detail of their life and you can relate to it in some way, shape or form, relate, just go ahead and relate, you know, tell them about your experience, be a person, don't be a representative of Rasa. I think that that's another thing that has engendered a lot of brand love. But if I had to really put it on there, I'd say it's probably 80% the product and what it can do. These these herbs really work. And for many people, liberating themselves from coffee, I actually had a customer use that phrasing to me. Like, I I feel liberated. It actually is a very profound and very life-changing impact. And then, you know, we've gotten people that say that they're more patient with their kids, feel better with their spouses. And we actually had somebody tattoo a Rasa cup. It looks like a coffee cup, but it's a Rasa cup. We get like pictures from kids and we've gotten people writing us poems and songs. And I mean, just incredible stuff. We feel very, very blessed. And I think the other thing too, is we really walk our talk. We don't bullshit. I don't know you know how, to, how else to say it besides that, but and I think that people can feel that fundamentally. They feel like, okay, they we have a reason for the things that we do. We are willing to let them into that reason. We are a lot more transparent than most businesses and all of that engenders more and more trust. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, all of those things you described are, they all require effort. They all require more time and energy and attention spent. And so they are too rare. So I'm not surprised, but you know, I think that's incredible. I want to talk a little bit about your journey as a founder. And I mean, what's fascinating is one quote that I'm really fond of is just this notion that there is no such thing as learning business, that every business is hyper unique. And so I think in some ways, every founder can relate to what you said. Every founder is in many ways learning how to build the plane while they fly the plane. But I want to know a little bit about your experience. And I'm curious maybe to start just to think about it through two lenses. And one is, What's been infuriating, challenging? What's been the the side of the job that has been most challenging? And then what are the things that are deeply rewarding and what are the things that keep you moving forward? People and people. (laughs) (laughs) That's typically the case. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Getting the right team has been a challenge. Although at this point I would, you know, we have a fantastic team. So it's been, it was years of hair pulling learning. And I think now we're in the place where it's like, oh, wow, this is really working. We really do have the right people in the right seats doing the right jobs for the most part. I think another thing that has been just infuriating and challenging is you know, we're doing 
But I would say so much in the right way. We're like painstaking in the amount of care that we put into it, like almost every single detail and decision and all of that. And I think now I'm starting to see that we've maybe under-indexed on some of the things that might've gotten us the recognition that I feel like we deserve for that. And so I see some of these other brands out there like getting tons of press and tons of this. And I'm like, but, 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 but uh, we, we have the, come on, like we're a pretty PRable story, I think. You know, I try not to get too comparative about it. That's not helpful. But then there's also like, it, I end up kind of reflecting like, well, am I doing something wrong? And then I'm like, well, maybe it's just because we haven't dumped $10,000 a month into PR because we're more focused on, is our supply chain really tight? And, you know, we've been bootstrapped up until this point. And so we didn't go out and raise a bunch of money and then just be like, okay, great. Go ahead and get the super expensive PR agency and that sort of thing. So all of our PR has been organic and I shouldn't complain. We've been in Forbes, we've been in Daily Beast and some other great ones, but I just feel like we deserve more. So sometimes that's infuriating seeing some of the other practices that, other companies get away with where I feel like they're cheating and we're really not. And like, we put so much value into the product, you know, instead of, I was, I had this rant on my Instagram the other day where I got this box in the mail and I was like, the box costs $10 guys. I know this. Like, I know how much these things cost. That's a $10 box. The value is not in the products in the box, <laughs> but people like that. And so there's, I think some of it is not quite uneducated, but, you know, needing to be more educated consumer base in general about some of these things. And then things like berry dusting, adaptogen washing is something that also drives me freaking bonkers. We've coined that term, but because we just saw it happening so much where a company will say that something is adaptogenic and it's actually not. And there's scientific criteria and there's a whole body of scientific research that's continuing to progress where they're doing more and more studies on these different herbs. But there is a relatively small class of herbs that actually fall into the class of adaptogens. And it's about 30 herbs, depending on how generous you are in your scope. Some people would say it's just nine or 10. They're like adaptogenic everything. And I'm like, zero adaptogens in that product. What the <laughs> hell are you doing? And like, I know you're just charging more because you're like, but it's adaptogenic and the market will take it. So all that kind of drives me nuts. People issues are always just kind of the worst. If we have a personnel issue on the team, like that's where I'm losing sleep and can't unlock my brain from like, well, did I do something wrong? Did they, what is the, like, maybe it's the process of the company and how do I fix that? And you know, just all of that. So all of those are infuriating, frustrating. I think the other thing that drives me nuts, thanks for giving me a chance to rant about it. This is so therapeutic. <laughs> is there's so much in the founder entrepreneur world, like I'm killing it. Another win. We closed the deal. We hit this milestone. It's just all good, 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 good. And people don't share. I'm crying at night because we launched this thing and we really thought it was going to do this and this, and it didn't. Now I just feel like I'm just pushing a rock up a hill and I actually posted something about how I started crying in our leadership retreat. We had an annual planning leadership retreat about a month ago. And within the first hour, man, I was crying in front of our entire team as they were saying all the things that were wrong with the business. Like, here's the, here's what we're not doing well. And I just took it way too personally. I was like, it's all my fault and I'm causing suffering. And, and I posted about it because I was like, people need to see that this is real and this happens. And I got a bunch of people that were concerned about me in a way that they shouldn't have been concerned about. It was like, dude, that was 10 minutes of my day my business is actually killing it, but this happens and we need to normalize this a little bit more. It is a constant level of tremendous amounts of work and of holding an entire system that 
nobody except for somebody who's been an operator and has been a founder or been a uh, CEO is going to really understand how much the, the totality of that is. And I mean, it's tremendously rewarding too, you know, going, going into that side of it. Our customer reviews are the number one thing. Like we, uh, anytime I get down on the business, we have a reviews channel on Slack and we post the great reviews there. And I just peruse through those and I'm like, we're doing a good thing. You know, we are changing people's lives. That is a common phrase that we say that this is life changing. It's game changing. And we have really beautiful customers too. I mean, they're just like great people, you know, and I don't know if it's because of partially our transparency and how we communicate and stuff, but people write us these really creative and funny reviews and stuff really put time into them. And so that's, that's definitely the number one. And then we have a great team. We have a lot of fun. I actually just went through and edited our employee handbook to throw in a bunch of jokes and make people actually want to read it. Our HR consultant was like, are you going to send this to a lawyer? I was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, 10 out of 10. It's great. And totally like people are going to want to read it. But the lawyer's just going to want more legalese in there. We laugh a lot. It's really fun. I And I think one of the things I'm really jazzed about right now, too, is actually we've been running our business. I actually have a book right next to me um, on traction or EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. I was a little bit haphazard about it for maybe the last year. It's a good system, but it's like a little rigid. And is it going to fit our specific business? Blah, blah, blah. And then I started to realize that a lot of the problems that we were having were actually process, not people. And I started getting more rigid about how we enforce and roll out traction and EOS. And, oh man, I'm high on this right now. I'm like, we're going to just follow this book to the T because it's a really good system. They really know how to have the, just the, I see it as sort of the infrastructure or the hardware. And then we bring in the cultural software into that. And that cultural software is infused with things like conscious leadership and Brene Brown's dare to lead work and stuff like that. But Traction really has the like brass tacks, this is how you run a business kind of thing. And it's been just really great to have that feeling of like, here's 20 people and they're all pointed in the same direction. And like, what can we do with that? That's amazing. I'm hot on that one right now. I've heard of EOS. I've never read Traction. So for anyone listening, Lopa literally picked up a book that says Traction on the front. So I'll make sure we link to that in the show notes. I want to ask one follow-up question on that, which is in what ways do you think you've grown the most? What has been exciting, rewarding for you personally about going through this journey? Oh man, a lot. Entrepreneurship and parenting feel like unparalleled in terms of what they can actually do in terms of personal growth. Intimate relationship also has that that capacity. But with business, you kind of are bringing together parenting and intimate relationship and creating something in the world all together. And it's a pressure cooker, man. Um, I mean, some of the big takeaways, some of the big lessons, you know, on the people front for a while, I was underselling myself and the business and the opportunity. And there was some deep uncertainty in me about whether I and others, I and this business deserved the best people possible, for example. You know, and some of that we justified on a surface level of like, well, if we get less trained people, less experienced people, then it's cheaper and we're bootstrapping. And so, you know, then we can train them up. And then of course, wasn't doing the math on how do you train something to know, to do something that you don't know how to do yourself. <laughs> that was a big learning of just seeing this opportunity and this business is really worth investing in. And that I, as a leader, am worth having that level of support. And I think that 
ties into another one of, and I think this is a common founder journey is I went from doing everything, every single customer response to packing the boxes, you know, all of it to having to get myself more and more and more out of the weeds. And in this last year, there's been a real process of we tripled our team last year. And so there was a lot of cultural change and how do we build all these processes? And we're all on Zoom for most of the last year as well. And so how do we have a killer company culture in this remote context? I'm still in in the journey of right now, my, my question is, is this something that I and only I can do? And I'm prioritizing even more, not just for time, but also my energy and the amount of bandwidth that it takes. If somebody makes a one-on-one with me and doesn't put in an agenda and there's part of my brain thinking about, well, what do they want to meet about and what's going, you know, I spent, I don't know, like probably eight minutes over two days thinking about that and wondering about it. It's eight minutes and energy and bandwidth that I actually don't have. So I need to be really freaking judicious with how I am allocating the bandwidth I have and really looking at what is it that I am uniquely suited to do in that zone of genius perspective. And then I think another one going into energy intelligence, they all kind of dovetail together in a way, but the quality of energy that I bring to the business ripples out without question. And so for the first three years, I took almost no time off, including weekends. I mean, I was just powering through. And then I've got two kids, young kids, and you know how not relaxing that is. <laughs> and um, Yes. <laughs> you know, I get off my first job and then go to my second job and then go back to my first job after the kids went to sleep, you know, and everything. Mm-hmm. My nervous system, it's almost like Rasa becomes an extension of my nervous system. And so how regulated I am really ripples through the business and the quality of my energy really ripples through the business. And I've really just been finding that The times where I most feel like I can't take a break or where I most feel like I don't have the time to spend thinking about a big issue or go meditate so that I have the bandwidth to do that. When I really feel like I can't is the time that I most have to. And I'm trying to instill that in my leadership team, especially as well. Like, go ahead and take a break. You're pushing a rock up against a wall here. You need to take a break on this. So working with my own energy and knowing that if I am inspired, spacious, grounded, that my company is going to be more of that too. I think that's a fantastic insight. And I've never heard it said that way, where it's about energy, it's about your presence, but it's super, super, super powerful. Well, thank you so much, Lopa. We're going to wrap this part of the interview now on this question. We'll move to the second part of the interview in just a second. So for anyone listening, we're about to go just behind the scenes a little bit to talk about how Lopa shows up her best self every single day. If you're curious, stick around. For links to everything Lopa and I discussed, as well as our favorite takeaways from this episode, visit outlieracademy.com slash 39. You can also jump to the next episode to go behind the scenes and learn more about the habits, influences, and life lessons that have shaped Lopa in the short bonus episode that follows this one. To dive deeper, visit outlieracademy.com. There you can find more conversations with incredible guests like Scott Belsky, Kevin Kelly, and Erlang Kage, as well as the founders of Big Ass Fans, Primal Kitchen, Rally, Titan, and so many other companies. You can also sign up for our free weekly newsletter, Outlier Debrief. Every week on Friday, we share a few highlights from the latest episode with a few of our favorite books, articles, headlines, and moments from that week. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you right here next week on Outlier Academy.